Brandy Wells wanted to make the most of her last few weeks before she would head back to college and start a new job at Walmart. She was now living in Brownsboro, Texas, just 20 minutes from her mom, who still lived in Tyler, Texas, where Brandy had grown up. She stopped to see her mom for a bit on the night of August 2, 2006, and then left, telling her mom she was meeting up with friends for a night out. Her mom didn't have any reason to worry, outside of normal mom worries. She told Brandy to be careful not to go too far since she was low on gas and money, and to have fun. Brandy kissed her, told her goodbye, and walked out the door. Brandy would never be seen again. Where is Brandy Wells? Welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. Our goal is to tell the stories of the missing, the ones without a voice. These unsolved cases sometimes just need one more bit of information to be solved. And all of these missing people have loved ones left behind, desperately needing answers. The case of Brandy Wells is no different. She left behind family and a network of friends all yearning to know where Brandy is. A yearning that has been rooted within them since 2006. Before we jump into Brandy's story, I want to give a big thank you to this week's sponsor, Misfits Market. I am personally a big fan and want to remind you that I will never recommend a product or service here that I don't use myself or stand behind 100%. The mission at Misfits Market is to provide affordable access to healthy food and to fight the food waste crisis. They provide boxes of organic produce delivered right to your doorstep. You can order a box, prices start at around $22, and can be delivered as often as you choose. Every week, every other week, every month, you can control the delivery. What really surprised me is how much came in my box. I ordered the $35 box and received a tremendous amount of food in that box. The cool thing, too, is that you can customize your box so that you don't receive items that you don't like. If you want to learn more about Misfit Market or give them a try, use our link in the show notes below. You can read up on them on their website, and our link will give you $20 off your first box. You can cancel or change your delivery window anytime. If you use our discount link, your first box will actually only be a couple of dollars. And supporting our partners helps us support the show and keeps us helping organizations and charities working with these missing people. For those of you new here, the Where Are They podcast can be found on Instagram and Facebook. Please give us a follow over there. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and hit the thumbs up on our videos. This really will help them get more exposure. 
So now let's get back to the case of Brandy Wells. Brandy Wells was a 23-year-old girl when she disappeared. Brandy stands just 4 foot 11 inches tall and weighs about 120 pounds. She is described as a Caucasian female with shoulder-length blonde hair and blue eyes. Brandy Ellen Wells was born November 28, 1982. She was a fun-loving, friendly, very sociable girl growing up in Tyler, Texas. Brandy, along with her best friend Janelle, enjoyed church activities and singing in the choir. In fact, Brandy had dreams of becoming a country singer one day. Brandy also loved to play the flute in the band at school and enjoyed being a member of the flag corps. After graduation, she would in fact receive a college scholarship for her flag corps achievements. In college, Brandy still pursued music and flag corps, but her dream became to become a kindergarten teacher, just as her grandmother had been. At age 19, following her second year of college, Brandy would meet a young man. They would get married, and together they would move out on their own. They moved to Dallas, Texas, but eventually the pressure of money would cause her to drop out of school and get a full-time job. By the time Brandy was 21, she and her husband would separate. It would be a quick disillusion of their marriage, and Brandy would decide to move to San Antonio and live with a male friend. Brandy and he would begin dating at some point, but this young man would end up enlisting in the military and being called overseas. This would prompt Brandy to move back towards her parents and her friends and would move in with another friend in Brownsboro, Texas. Brownsboro was just 20 minutes from Tyler, Texas, where Brandy had grown up and where her mother, stepfather, and younger sister still lived. Brandy's close friends would say that during these moves and during these couple of years, Brandy seemed to be a little lost. It wouldn't be until she moved back to Brownsboro that she considered going back to school. She contacted her flag corps coach at Trinity Valley Community College to see if her college scholarship could still be utilized. And she was told she would have to try back out for the team, but it was possible. Brandy would do so, practicing daily before tryouts. She was a little nervous. She was now a few years older than the rest of the girls on the team. But in true Brandy fashion, she showed up and she would make the team. Her scholarship would be reinstated. And while she was ecstatic to be back on the right track, she was a bit nervous to be rejoining the team with members now several years younger than her. On August 2nd, 2006, Brandy surprised her mom by showing up at her apartment in Tyler, Texas. Her mother, Ellen, was shocked to see Brandy, but also very happy. As a young 20-something who had lived far away for quite some time, Ellen didn't get to see Brandy very often. They would talk for a bit that night, and Brandy told her mom she was going out to meet some friends at a club. Her mom assumed that she meant the nearby electric cowboy in Tyler. Brandy went to get ready and went into the bedroom of her younger sister, Georgia, for a bit. A short time later, Brandy came out, asked her mom if she looked all right in her outfit, a tan tube top and rust-colored gaucho pants, and black high-heeled sandals. Her mom said she looked cute, 
and Brandy would set up her makeup bag on the table in the living room and finish doing her makeup. During this time, she told her mom that she didn't have much gas in her car and asked if she could borrow her car. Her mom replied that she also didn't have much gas. Brandy asked if she could borrow some gas money, but Ellen told her that she didn't have any money until payday. Brandy would proceed to get ready and eventually leave the house. She went to a nearby bowling alley first, where a family friend, Jeanette, was a bartender. Brandy had a drink at the bar, telling Jeanette her mom had said she could add it to her tab. She stayed a bit chatting with her friend and ultimately did tell Jeanette she was heading to a club in Longview, Texas, called Graham Central Station. Jeanette had advised against going so far. It was a 45-minute drive from Tyler, but Brandy insisted she would be just fine. Brandy would leave the bowling alley around 9.30 p.m. and head towards Longview. The next morning, August 3rd, 2006, around 9.15 a.m., a state trooper finds an abandoned car along I-20 westbound near Longview. He runs the plates, identifies the 2000 Grand Prix as belonging to Brandy Wells, and tags the car as abandoned. Since the car is not reported stolen, the car is not flagged. At about 9.30 a.m. on that same morning, Ellen wakes up. She saunters out to the kitchen and notices that Brandy's makeup bag is still sitting on the living room table. Glancing at the couch, however, she sees that Brandy is not there but doesn't think too much about it. Possibly Brandy just stayed with a friend last night and would be back shortly. Throughout the day, Ellen calls Brandy's phone a few times, but the phone is going directly to voicemail. While this does seem odd to Ellen, as Brandy always had her phone on and nearby, she thought that maybe she had gone to a friend's and just didn't have her charger with her. That evening, Ellen receives a call from Brandy's roommate, who is also looking for Brandy. And at this time, Ellen says she begins to panic a little bit, thinking that something is wrong, that they can't reach her daughter. At this point, also, Brandy's phone is going straight to voicemail, but they have left her so many voicemails all day that her voicemail box is now full. The next day of August 4th, Ellen really realized that something was very wrong as Brandy has not shown up at either her house or her own house. And all of the friends that they have reached out to looking for Brandy have also said they haven't seen her. Ellen calls the police in Tyler, Texas to report Brandy missing. Now, the Tyler police come over to Ellen's apartment and take Ellen's statement about Brandy. And while Ellen was telling the police that Brandy had gone out the night of August 2nd to meet friends at the Electric Cowboy, her other daughter, Brandy's younger sister, interrupted and stated that Brandy was actually going out to Longview to the Graham Central Station Club. This had made no sense to Ellen, especially knowing that Brandy was so low on gas and money that night. 
Ellen decided to stay home and wait to hear from Brandy, while Michelle, Brandy's godmother and close family friend, said she would go out driving to look for her. Michelle drove out to Longview to see if Brandy's car might still be parked at the club parking lot. But it was not there. Michelle also walked around the grounds and even back through the wooded area behind the club, but found nothing. Now the Tyler police have decided that since Brandy had actually possibly been in Longview last, the Longview police should be the ones to handle the case. Meanwhile, the Texas State Patrol would find Brandy's car still abandoned, now days later, and when running the plates this time, were finally able to identify it as Brandy, who was now flagged as a missing person. Upon searching the car, a few interesting things were noted. The car wasn't just pulled over of the highway, but rather it looked like it rolled off the side of the road until it came to a stop. The driver's door was partially ajar, and in the back seat of the car was Brandy's purse, including her wallet. Also in the back seat was a one-gallon gas can. The police would find a cell phone as well, but the car keys were missing. They also noted that the driver's seat was pushed all the way back as if a tall person was sitting in it or as if it had been put in that position purposefully. Remember, Brandy was only 4 foot 11, so generally the seat was all the way up, not back. They found no signs of a struggle and also no signs of Brandy anywhere. The police would dust the vehicle for prints, but none were found inside the vehicle as if the entire inside of the car had been wiped down. Police now turned their attention to the club and began analyzing surveillance footage. The Graham Central Station in Longview used a system where a driver's license must be scanned to gain entry. And by looking at those records, they saw that Brandy scanned into the club at 10.44 p.m. the night of August 2nd. They started reviewing the surveillance footage of those entering the club around that time and Although the footage wasn't too clear, they did see a person they believed to be Brandy. Brandy's godmother reviewed the footage and said that, yes, it might be Brandy. So the police would release this footage to the media. Later, when Brandy's mom, Ellen, saw it on TV, she knew right away that that was not Brandy. For one, it was not what Brandy had been wearing that night when she left her house And she noted that it wasn't Brandy's body language either. It wasn't the way she walked or stood and was pretty confident that that was not Brandy. Her mother insisted on reviewing more of the footage from the club to look for Brandy. And it turns out that Brandy actually entered the club at 10.35 p.m., not 10.44, and that the timestamp of the camera system just didn't match up with the timestamp of the scanners at the door, causing the confusion. The sad part about that is the wrong video footage was put out in the media for days before it was identified as being incorrect. So when they finally find Brandy on surveillance footage, she is seen entering the club alone. And police begin to interview and track down people from the club that night, And a few people did come forward saying that they saw her alone, 
for most of the night. They didn't see her with anybody in particular. One gentleman they tracked down did remember speaking to her, offering to buy her a drink, in fact, but he said she refused. Then he proceeded to write his name and number on a napkin and give it to Brandy. This napkin would be found in her car. This man was not suspected to have anything to do with her disappearance. He was very cooperative, and he also said he remembered overhearing her tell a couple of other people that she was really worried about making it home and not running out of gas. Longview police early on realize that they need help in this case and enlist the help of the FBI. Phone records and Brandy's computer are analyzed and nothing unusual is found. Everyone was fairly perplexed as to why she went to Graham Central Station Club alone. And there was no record on her phone or computer of her making plans to meet friends there, as she had told her sister and her friend at the bowling alley. None of Brandy's friends would come forward saying that they had any plans with her that evening. Phone records did show that Brandy called the club twice on her way there that night. And police believe that she was asking for directions to the club. Police also quickly realized that the phone found in Brandy's car was not hers. They had to obtain phone records for her phone through the cell phone carrier to be able to investigate her activity. It was learned that the phone in the car had belonged to Brandy's ex-boyfriend and that he had given it to her when they broke up. This meant Brandy's phone was unaccounted for. The FBI puts a trace on Brandy's phone and for 10 days find no activity. They knew the phone was likely dead or turned off at this point. It wasn't pinging anywhere and there was no activity whatsoever of the phone even being turned on. However, 10 days after Brandy disappeared, her phone suddenly registers activity. Someone had turned it on and was using her phone. Investigators eventually trace it to a man and his niece who claim that they received the phone from a man they knew. They claim to have no knowledge of Brandy or know her in any way. The police track down this other man and he claims that he was walking down a road in Longview, heard a beeping sound off under a tree and went over to a investigate and found this cell phone. The location he said he found the phone in was a seedy part of town and just a few miles from I-20 where Brandy's car was located. And of course, police found this suspicious. How did this phone battery last in the elements for so long? Or did it? How could this man have heard the phone beep? Police would never name this man publicly. Another interesting person they came across was on the surveillance footage. They find Brandy leaving the club just after midnight, alone, and walking out to her car. She heads off camera toward the right. A few seconds after her, a man exits the building in a black shirt and a white cowboy hat. He goes off to the left. 
Just before Brandy's feet exit the screen, they stop and they turn to go the other way. Some have wondered if this man had called out to her. Some have also speculated that she might have just forgotten where she parked and turned directions. Since nothing more is seen on camera, we really can't be sure. And while this man on the camera could have easily had nothing to do with Brandy, we just don't know until he can be identified and questioned. Which to date, he has not been. This case has an extreme lack of evidence, lack of theories, and even lack of suspects. Brandy Wells just seemingly vanished into thin air. Brandy's family waited for answers. They searched. Ellen made every attempt to keep Brandy's story in the media as much as possible. In October of 2006, a fire burning off the highway brought out investigators. This fire was set ablaze in an oil field just seven miles from where Brandy's car was found. And upon investigation, authorities quickly realized there was a body in the blaze. This description was vague due to the circumstances, of course, with the fire, but investigators wondered if it might be Brandy. The police were able to put together a sketch of the person that they had found, and they released this sketch to the media while the medical examiner awaited dental records. There was a resemblance to Brandy, or so everyone thought, and Brandy's family was now forced with dealing with the fact that Brandy might not be alive. Dental records would determine that this Jane Doe, who police will call Lavender Doe due to her purple clothing found nearby, was in fact not Brandy Wells. Sadly, it would take 13 years for her to be identified as she finally was as Dana Dodd. So what are the questions in this case? It would seem that there would be many. However, there's so little facts to consider. The questions that come into my mind. Why did Brandy go to Longview that night with no gas in her car? And was she indeed meeting up with someone or someones? And if that's the case, why haven't they come forward to say that they were meeting up with Brandy? And how would Brandy have made those plans? There was no record of any plans being made through the computer, no phone calls or text messages that would indicate any plans of any kind. And it just seems like there should be a specific reason that took her there instead of a club that was possibly closer. But yet there's no evidence of anything that would lead her out to Longview, Texas, to Graham Central Station. And the other questions that come into my mind have to do with the man that found her phone. So, of course, that raises red flags to me right away. And at face value, you think he must have had something to do with Brandy's disappearance. Why would he have her phone? His story does not seem credible in the slightest. Except whatever happened to Brandy... And whomever, whoever did something to Brandy, 
was very calculated in how they abandoned her car, how they wiped down the entire car for prints to leave no evidence behind, and the fact that her body or no sign of her has ever been found. It seems a very smart and calculated move. Yet someone who could do something, plan something to that magnitude, would that same person then turn around and find her phone? And maybe he did just indeed find her phone lying there. Or does he know more than he is saying, even if he himself is not guilty of something? I can't fault a young woman of 23 years old for wanting to go out and have a good time, especially since she was getting ready to go back to college and start a new job soon. And Brandy was known to be talkative and social, so perhaps she had no problem going to a club out on her own. But what happened to her from there? There are a few popular theories discussed in Brandy's disappearance. Theory number one, Brandy met with harm at the hands of someone she knew. Was Brandy meeting with someone she knew at the club? Someone who is ultimately responsible for her disappearance? But who and why? Brandy was known to be well-liked by everyone. And if it was someone she knew... Why was there no record of her communicating with them via her phone or her computer? And Brainy was said to have called the club twice that night while she was on her way asking for directions. Why not call the person or people that she was supposed to be meeting with first? And remember, no one saw her with anyone particular that night at the club. And it's true that many victims fall prey at the hands of someone they know more often than a stranger, but there is absolutely nothing that points to this theory as being what happened to Brandy Wells. The second theory is that Brandy met with foul play at the hands of a stranger at the bar, perhaps the man in the white cowboy hat, or someone else she ran into in the parking lot just out of reach of the surveillance cameras. Did they take her somewhere and then just dispose of the car on the highway? The third theory is that Brandy had car trouble and met with foul play alongside the road. And this theory does seem plausible, seeing as how she was so low on gas. And a 45-minute drive would easily take a toll on someone's gas tank. What's also interesting is that a gas can was found in the back of Brandy's car but it is not known publicly as to how much gas was actually found in the car when it was discovered. And there has been criticism that that wasn't something that was documented when they brought the car in. Brandy's mom, Ellen, and her closest friends say they had no knowledge of her even owning a gas can. So did she run out of gas and someone stopped to offer their help? Someone who then drove her car to that location having to move the driver's seat all the way back. So, so, so many questions in this case and not enough answers. And it's now been 15 years without any sign of Brandy Wells. Brandy was just a bright 23-year-old girl, excited and just weeks away from beginning a new chapter in her life. Sadly, that would never happen. 
Brandy Wells is described as a Caucasian female with blonde hair and blue eyes. She's always been known to be outgoing and talkative and overall a likable girl. She was last known to be in Longview, Texas on August 3rd, 2006. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of Brandy Ellen Wells, please call Longview Police Department at 903-237-1110. Thank you all so much for listening to Brandy's story. Brandy has a network of family and friends who still to this day, 15 years later, yearn for answers. And as a reminder, please check out Misfit Markets. We have put a link in the show notes below for you to check them out. And if interested, you can receive $20 off your first box. Thank you for supporting our sponsors and, of course, supporting the show. You can find the Where Are They podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you are interested, grab yourself some merch in our online store. Proceeds always benefit our monthly charities. If you have a case suggestion for us, you can email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Spread the word of the case of Brandy Wells. Someone must know something. A 23-year-old young woman does not just vanish into thin air, abandoning her car on the side of a busy highway. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of Where Are They? We will be back again next week with another episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.